Welcome to the Startup Grind podcast. Startup Grind is the world's largest startup community, inspiring, educating, and connecting millions of entrepreneurs across the globe. These are the stories of disruptors, innovators, and game changers from the fastest high growth companies and venture capital firms in existence. Join us as we unpack their strategies, learn from their mistakes, and grow together. There is no time to wait, so let's begin. Hey you all, welcome back to Startup Grind Global Podcast. This is Chris Jonu. Today we have a big one with Vlad Magdalene, co-founder and CEO of Webflow. And for anyone that doesn't know what that is, it's this all-in-one web design platform that helps designers, entrepreneurs, create websites and apps. And Webflow's been, you know, a, a big part of this no-code movement that helps empower like a bunch of non-technical people to create products and and you know change the world. Um, he is a very humble guy, loved having this conversation, hearing the persistence, hearing the passion. Um, he's you know he's very much about his values and, and, and driving this company forward with this higher purpose. I hope you love uh, the chat as much as I did. Cheers. Vlad, uh, welcome, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here, Chris. Thank you for joining me. Um, look, Webflow, massive story. Really appreciate you taking the time. Um, but I do, I do start. I want to take you back a little bit, and and I'd love to hear the question. I often start with is, was there a mother or father that, that was an entrepreneur? Um, yeah, actually, that's that's the first time anyone's ever asked me that that question. Yeah, my dad is pretty close to an entrepreneur, um, and, and I'll explain what I mean by that. So we came here as refugees uh, in 1991, uh, and my parents didn't speak English. You know, we came here uh, under the guise of uh, fleeing persecution, but not uh, for the usual reasons of finding work, etc. So it took my dad quite a lot of time to not only learn English, but figure out what to do for a living, right? He tried all sorts of things. And they're all kind of in that entrepreneurial spirit, right? Where he was never quite happy with, um, you know, going to get a regular day job. So he, he did all these things with circuit boards, um, where he would try to be like kind of a mini supplier of uh, putting them together. Then he did this thing with like leather shoe repair. And then he tried to get a business off the ground selling PVC pipes to the USSR or to Russia because there was no such thing as PVC and in Russia, everything was done with metal uh, kind of in the communist days. Um, so I saw him try all these things and eventually he ended up in like almost like a computer repair business. It was a quasi business in the sense that he had one big client that was almost like treating him as a W2 uh, employee, but it he kind of used that as a launching point to get more and more clients on the side. Uh, so I always saw him, you know, trying to find something, um, something, like some extra ways to make income for our family uh, from, you know, very, very unrelated jobs like cleaning offices, uh, like cleaning dental clinics and, and medical clinics at night and kind of getting the family involved in that uh, to working with like some local Russian uh, other businesses to kind of bootstrap this thing called the Russian Yellow Pages. Uh, never really had like his full, full on business, but, you know, you could see that entrepreneurial spark there. Um, and I think that gave me, because he involved me in so many of those attempts, um, just gave me a whole range of um, experiences. Actually, that whole PVC pipe thing was 
my introduction to graphic design because he would sort of recruit me to try to make these catalogs to translate them from English to Russian. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And that's how I learned like Corel Draw and graphic design. And that got me into, you know, kind of an art career and um, ended up in me studying uh, art at the university um, or at the time, it was just called the Academy of Art uh, in San Francisco. And then like the, the rest is kind of history. But it, it definitely, that was a catalyst. Um, but unfortunately, my dad never realized that full dream of like having his own business all the way through. And and so was that like, I guess that was, um, you know, impactful. You can talk about that, you know, kind of started your, your career on this this design. So he, he kind of dragged you into uh, what, so this uh, creating the catalog, doing the design. Was this your first introduction to entrepreneurship? Was it, or were you like, Honestly, it felt like a chore to me at the time because, you know, uh -huh. I was like 12, 13 years old and uh, really the job um, consisted of the job, quote unquote, right? I wasn't getting paid. Yeah. Um, it was, you know, scanning uh, these other catalogs and trying to recreate them in graphic design software. So I, I kind of had to learn on the fly. That it, and this was well before the internet. Maybe there was, this is in the days of like CompuServe and AOL, like even before those days where you couldn't really have resources to go like look stuff up, you kind of had to learn from um, from trying a lot of things. Uh, but that that created the ability for me to have my first summer job uh, at uh, this you know this print shop that did like ads and calendars for for clients um, and and helped me sort of work up some of those skills. Um, and while it wasn't, while all those jobs weren't quite like building my own thing. Um, I, I think I saw, I worked quite closely with people who were trying to start their own things. Like, you know, at that graphic design job, there were only a few of us and the owner was there all the time. And, you know, trying to seeing how much uh, goes into running your own business uh, really inspired me to um, pursue my own path uh, over time. Okay, so then, um, and so then you said you studied design um, and, and so I, I guess it sounds like you, you landed in San Francisco in the, in the first place with that. Um, that is a little bit more complicated. Um, the journey was I, I grew up in Sacramento, um, kind of for the latter part of my childhood and then moved to, uh, started college actually in Cal Poly, uh, for computer science, but really, really didn't like it. Um, and ended up dropping out after less than a year and moved up to San Francisco to go to the Academy of Art. The new dream then was kind of like, how do I take, um, the creative side of me and parlay that into a career in like visual effects or 3D animation. And, and really the dream company to work for was Pixar at the time. Uh, so that's what I was really, you know, orienting around. So I learned 3D animation and kind of classical animation, classical art. Um, but it was so, so difficult to get into Pixar um, that I kind of gave up halfway through and ended up leaving um, the Academy of Art after two years and going back to Cal Poly and finishing my computer science degree. And, and really during that time, like falling back in love with, with programming and, and really marrying those two things with kind of the art and, and design side uh, with engineering and uh, computer science. And, and that's ultimately kind of where the idea for Webflow came to be because I, you know, going back to computer science and getting a job at an agency, you know, part-time while I was going to school, I was able to see both the programming side and the creative side and, and just seeing how much better things were in the 3D animation industry. I just wanted to bring that same 
uh, type of power, uh, like that, those visual tools into web design and, and um, web development. And that's kind of, you know, the original spark that, that started Webflow uh, in that combination between art and technology. So that is a great combination, right? And I think, Vlad, um, you know, it's kind of funny that I, you know, have these conversations with developers um, that think they can design and sometimes they <laughs> cannot, right? Yeah. Um, but you truly can, right? And then, and so then tell me, tell me the story about Webflow. But, but before that, was there any, any businesses in between that kind of, um, and, and perhaps any failures that you'd like to discuss that kind of, Helped, helped on that journey? Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, there are two actually, actually maybe three. Um, so the first thing that actually convinced me to drop out of art school and go back to computer science was during my first year of art school, um, this was 2001-ish, there was a company called QuickDot that my friends used for communication. It was basically like WhatsApp, but on the web. So it was sort of asynchronous group communication. It was kind of new at the time. But the, it was during the dot-com sort of crash and that company went out of business because they ran out of money, et cetera. So I, I used that product so much that it was just you know too, too hard to see it go. So I picked up a book on ASP.NET 2.0, uh, which was new at the time, and started trying to rebuild that application just so I could keep using something like that with my friends. And that was the genesis of my first startup. It was called Chatterfox. Uh, where I tried to build the same version of, of this quick dot company and ended up actually kind of succeeding where we had thousands of users and, you know, a lot of people independently, which at the time was kind of a big deal where uh, I considered trying to raise money for it and um, really didn't feel like a strong programmer, which is why I decided to go back to Cal Poly to try to get better at it. Um, but that a bunch of other things started taking off at the same time, like MySpace and Facebook, et cetera, that the user, um, the user growth just started to trail off. So that combination of, you know, having something exciting to work on that, that developed a skill of programming and, uh, trying to get a startup off the ground was really, really thrilling. But then it came with that crash of, oh, holy cow, nobody's using it anymore. People are all jumping ship to these bigger uh, bigger and better things and like this private way of communicating is no longer <laughs> the most exciting because people are falling in love with social networking um, and that was kind of a bummer because it was you know I had one co-founder and we really enjoyed working on it but but seeing it sort of stagnate um, uh, helped us push into you know trying to get uh, make income other other ways because we never we never were able to monetize it and then I tried to do kind of a side agency to, to make websites, just using everything I learned uh, building that startup. Um, and I was like quasi successful, but it was so hard to find clients that I just ended up getting a kind of job as an intern, um, a paid intern, thankfully, uh, at this web design agency that, that uh, paid actually better than my own attempts at trying to get clients. And that sort of parlayed into... Uh, seeing what that that agency was working on, they were they were at this like intersection of working with some of the best clients in the world, like Apple and uh, Quicksilver and uh, you know like Banana Republic and some of the biggest brands. And uh, they had the CMS where I was one of the implementers 
of uh, kind of taking requirements from designers and then rebuilding them in HTML and CSS. And that, like seeing how tedious that was, was the original genesis for, for Webflow. Um, like wanting to actually like build something internally that then I, I guess like sell back to them or license back to them so that they can do things more, more efficiently. Uh, but long story short, I, you know, when I graduated from college, had to find a real job, ended up uh, joining into it and tried to start this idea of Webflow multiple times. So like I actually try to incorporate Webflow um, all the way back in 2005, then tried a couple times while I was working it into it, kind of moonlighting, uh, starting it with different co-founders. And one of the times we uh, we got like partially funded and then uh, things sort of fell apart because we had this trademark battle with this other company. And, you know, and it was always the same idea behind Webflow and, and um, the dream every time was, okay, how do we create like a real company around this? Uh, but for all intents and purposes, it failed three different times over the course of uh, five or six years or so. And after the third time, I kind of just gave up. And um, because after right around the third time that it failed, all these big sort of website building services like Weebly and Wix and Squarespace and uh, WordPress.com were becoming huge. And I um, blog post and I, I just kind of had assumed that I missed my window at creating something, uh, something similar. So I just kind of concentrated on, you know, um, on my day job at Intuit, which was becoming more and more, uh, you know, engaging. I that's uh, kind of moved to Sacramento again, and that's where our family lived and started having, uh, started building my own family. We had a couple kids, um, and it was it wasn't until 2012 that I was re-inspired to um, start thinking about Webflow again, because like I just saw a lot of opportunity and there was a lot of um, serendipitous things that happened, to be honest, uh, that just like showed me that, you know, now's the right time to, to try to start it again. And Can you name a few? Can you name a few of those things? And I'm also curious about, you know, do you think it was that, you know, you said re-sparking your passion, right? And I'm just thinking, does that really you know, kind of maybe looking back, do you look at, you know, maybe second attempt and third attempt, they were kind of where you were just going through the mechanics and not, you know, back to the, the idea you originally loved that. I mean, they kind of, yeah. Each three of those times I was really, really energized and passionate. And I just knew that an idea like, like Webflow needed to exist. Uh, but then, you know, that initial spark was overshadowed over time, like the heart, you know, in the, you know, when you when you're trying something for a year and working like nights and weekends because you have a day job and uh, you know it's really hard on the family and um, it, you're not seeing any traction, it just you know really wears on you. Um, mm -hmm. And actually, the the 2012 attempt was I'll, I'll name the the serendipitous things. So you know how I mentioned in 2007 or so, like the third attempt, we had a trademark um, battle. We had applied yeah, for yeah. a trademark and it was rejected by the trademark agency because they said there was another company that like owned that trademark uh, for that specific class, you know, like website builder, et cetera. And, um, you know, we kind of went back and forth with that company. Ultimately, we just didn't have the money to try to like convince them or go to court to, to try to argue that, you know, we we're sufficiently different. Uh, we kind of have to change the company name. It was it was going to be marked up instead of Webflow um, uh, with like a bunch of missing vowels because you know at that time you couldn't get any domain, uh, <laughs> yeah. even though I already had the Webflow.com domain luckily. And it was just like the combination of that really dragging out. Like a couple of the co-founders got um, you know started focusing more on their day jobs and 
um, it just wasn't, you know, that exciting anymore. Um, and that dragged down long enough that I just was very discouraged. But in, in late 2011, um, when we had already moved to, you know, still working into it, um, had moved back to Sacramento, had already had um, uh, two kids. I think my, my youngest daughter was just born. Um, and, you know, she was probably nine months old at that time, something like that. And then I had already moved like two or three times from, from where I was in the Bay Area when we got, got that first trademark rejection. And, you know, it's been like four or five years at that point. And out of the blue, in my new Sacramento um, address arrives like this trademark certificate from the trademark um, office. <laughs> nice. That's basically like, congratulations, you own the trademark. Somehow we got like into some, even though we were officially rejected before by the agency, and there's a six month window of like, you're either approved or you're not. Um, and we got an official rejection somehow, I still don't know what happened. Like maybe that, that other company went out of business or let it lapse, or we were in some queue and, um, it just came through. Right. And, and for me, that was almost like divine providence of like, okay, that's a sign that, that, uh, now like the biggest barrier to the last time we tried to do this is, is gone. Um, and, and also around the same time, there was this new technology that had, um, this new development in web design that started becoming a big thing called responsive web design, where breakpoints or like the ability to build across different resolutions um, had become a new thing, right? Because the like iPhones and iPads were kind of a new thing. And uh, there was more of a movement to build for, you know, build with, with one kind of more or less one design, but one that, that responds to how you resize the screen or how big the screen is. And nobody was really working on responsive design um, software, not even Adobe. Like a, a couple of folks were kind of considering adding it to, to their software like Dreamweaver, but um, it just, it, I just saw that as a big opportunity, but still that didn't like cross that, um, you know, that motivation boundary. I was still like kind of skeptical around, okay, is now the time to start? I just had two, two kids. It's really, it's really tough to find time um, even outside of uh, my day job. And then I sort of like let it linger a little bit. And then in early 2012, I randomly saw this video. Um, I think I just came across somebody had shared it on Facebook or something called Inventing on Principle by Brett Victor. It is by far the most life-changing thing I've ever seen. It's like a conference talk. Again, it's called Inventing on Principle. You can just Google uh, for it by Brett Victor. Yeah, check it out. Yeah, we'll have it in and the show notes. And, and it was like the perfect thing I needed to see to convince myself to um, the, the central question he asks is, why do you do the work that you do, right? Like what is the meaning and the purpose behind the work that you're doing? And it also had all these ideas around like really rethinking human computer interfaces, like uh, doing, like finding something that's highly technical and creating a more human first approach to solving that same problem. So for example, instead of, uh, you know, doing a bunch of like in classical animation software, instead of doing moving a bunch of things on the timeline, creating animation software on a tablet where you can just use your finger to trace how you want things to animate, where your body sort of knows the timing, right? And and just the combination of those two messages of like, what do you want to do with the the uh, um, the work in your life? Like, wh where do you find meaning? And seeing a lot of inspiration in the examples that that he gave around creating like more human centric software. It was like that spark was so strong and it combined with that trademark 
uh, idea and the, and the market opportunity and the fact that, you know, uh, I, I was just like, there was this latent bubbling that, that I wanted to keep working on Webflow. I just like knew it was inevitable that I was going to get back to it that it was such a big spark that the next day I gave my my boss at Intuit notice that I was going to be leaving and started wow. making plans. You know, we we had kind of a offer on our on a house in Sacramento. We pulled out of that, uh, started making plans to to move to the Bay Area to because um, that's where like the startup scene was and um, that's where all the startup incubators were. And kind of sight unseen, uh, magically convinced my wife to take a, uh, a really, really intense risk like that. And actually, I remember looking for a place in the Bay Area, and it was like it was so fast that, you know, my wife was traveling during that time, and you know, she trusted me enough to find a place to live without her even seeing it, <laughs> because uh, I was, was, I was going to so say, she, I was going to say, she sounds super supportive. <laughs> Yeah, I that was that was a um, that was something that we had to keep re-engaging in. You know, uh, there was a lot of excitement around. And she she saw my energy around. You know how important this was to me, et cetera. But but then there were definitely moments later on where you know all of the rose-colored glasses of like everything's going to be great. We're going to raise funding. We're going to you know this is going to be we're going to replace the the type of income that uh, I was getting from into it really quickly. And then that rosy picture, you know, when that turns into uh, more of a promise and less of uh, reality, you know, then it became much tougher to try to kind of re re-energize both myself and and her and the family around like why uh, it's worth it to keep going a little longer and a little longer. And then like there was uh, a point where again we almost gave up, um, but thankfully again, um, like due to luck and just the right timing. Uh, were able to ultimately lead to not failing again, thankfully. Can I, can I ask a few things? So one is, you know, and I don't want to like, you know, just, you know, highlight all the good times, right? Um, yep. You know, I think that it's important for the, the founders to, you know, hear the, hear, the, hear the struggle and the reality, you know, and we're often like just see the, you know, the, the billion dollar valuation on stage and the smiles and, and um, you know, yeah. Um, inspire the next generation with that. But, but before I do that, right, when you had this, you know, this inspirational moment and, and, and understood that there, you know, must be a higher purpose and stuff, how did you define that? Did you write that down? Is it something you still refer to? Or did it become like the mantra for Webflow moving forward? I'm just curious to hear what that, how that formulated. Uh, you know, if you have a chance to watch this video, the Inventing on Principle video, it actually oh, just, it's stolen directly from there, right? Yep. Our, you can see that our company mission, which is to empower everyone to create for the web and lead impactful and fulfilling lives while we do it is derived from that video because it, uh, it really talks about direct manipulation, which is this concept that how do you empower somebody to do something really complex through something that they already know how to do, right? It's much easier to teach somebody to say, you know, you click here and drag this here, and then, you know, you see the action of that versus you have to learn like these coding frameworks and then know how to do that in like this more abstract language. So that mantra is still like kind of tied into our product itself. And this question about like, what do you want to do with your life? What brings you purpose um, is baked into our mission as well. Like we want to uh, build the kind of company where where the people who work on uh, on our mission, like they actually sense a 
um, a feeling of impact and fulfillment in the work that they're doing. And they see the importance of their work um, in, you know, in how it impacts others positively. Um, so it's almost like a cheat code that that video is so, so inspiring and had so many of the concepts that, that created the foundations of not only Webflow's mission, but, but also uh, some of our, you know, core values and, and, and principles. So it's kind of evolved a little bit where we had to get more specific around, you know, the specific vision of our product and, and where it's headed and sort of the strategy we used to, to, to get there. But um, it really came down to how do you empower more people through um, these direct manipulation tools that, that bring a lot of complexity um, or give you a lot of power that traditionally would be locked up in the hands of the very few who had like computer science degrees or had spent the last 10 years learning how to program, et cetera. Um, and do it in a way that just, you know, you derive impact and fulfillment and meaning and purpose um, in, in the work that you do. Okay. And, and so then like, you know, fast forward in a little bit, right. And, and, and I want to go back to some of the kind of the learnings around um, some of the, the tougher times, but um, how, how does, how does Webflow become, you know, the, the poster child for, for no code, the no code movement? Uh, I'd say uh, with a lot of luck and um, kind of the right timing, you know, because no code as a, as a general idea is nowhere close to being new, right? If you go back all the way to the 60s, there were a lot of movements where, where people realized the power of programming and tried to uh, bring it into a more accessible, more democratized form. If you think of things like spreadsheets, really they're, they're a no code way of solving a lot of things that people used to solve with code. If you think of um, even things like 3D animation, a lot of that stuff used to be done with code and like matrix manipulation, et cetera, done by engineers. And now it's, it's done in a more visual declarative um, way. If you think of like desktop publishing, it used to be highly technical where designers would do it sort of on paper, literally using, you know, the, the phrase cut and paste comes from people cutting out paper and like pasting it onto a bigger paper to make like a newspaper or a magazine layout. Um, and then that would be, you know, taken by a more technical person into something like PostScript or uh, into typesetting, et cetera. Um, and now, you know, you just do it directly in InDesign or some other like in Figma, et cetera. So that, that journey and like Visual Studio and Dreamweaver, all of these concepts are generally no code, right? Maybe we didn't have that same terminology for it. People called it different things uh, like WYSIWYGs and drag and drop editors, et cetera. So the, the fact that the no code movement kind of started to become more recognized around the time that, that Webflow was, was becoming more and more popular, um, it was just the, the right place at the right time for us to be able to articulate more around the possibilities of no code. I mean, yeah, we did, we did see that opportunity and, and created, you know, the first conference around no code in 2019, no code conf, um, a lot of like thought leadership around what no code could do and, and how early we are in that, um, in this kind of relative revolution of inspiring others and enabling others to, to build something that traditionally required engineering skills uh, to build. So I think it really was a, a combination of seeing that opportunity in front of us. Like we didn't, we didn't exclusively do everything to make that happen. It was the combination of so many different other uh, companies and so many different attempts in the past that didn't really work like Dreamweaver and, you know, Visual Studio, et cetera. Um, but 
it finally matured to the degree where all the conditions were right uh, to to call it a an entire industry, an entire movement, et cetera. And we just um, happened to take pole position in that. Absolutely. And okay. And then so go, going going back a bit, I'm jumping jumping through time. Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, so yeah, okay. So you know. You said even the third attempt, right? You know, you said you, you you made the move to the bay. You just you had this moment where you knew like it had I had to make this thing, I had to make it happen, it was gonna work. And then you said like the reality sets in. Um, you know, I guess super competitive market with talent and stuff in, in the Bay Area. Um and, and if you can't, I guess, you know, get get this thing to have wings pretty quickly, then you know, a bit of doubt sets in. How how do you overcome that? How did you, um, you know, continue to see the light? Yeah, um, I mean, I'll, t I'll talk about even the final iteration of, you know, when we start with this whole like very heavy inspiration with that trademark thing and the uh, inventing on principle video and everything kind of coming together, finding two great co-founders, one of them being my brother, like perfect place, perfect time. My wife's excited, we moved to, the Bay Area, and we have, um, you know, three months of savings where we're just like fired up, like nothing could go wrong. Um, and, you know, the, the idea being that we really get down to business, build this product, get it out to customers, and then the sky's the limit, right? But in reality, those three months very quickly turned into, um, so what I had promised my wife was, Okay, we moved to the Bay Area, kind of work on it um, a little bit part time as I wind down my job with Intuit as we like try to get more in savings. Then in around July of 2012, I go full time. I just uh, leave. That's that's when I left Intuit. So so no more income coming in. And the idea was that we would take some of the money that we saved and, and create a Kickstarter video. Right. And um, try to convince a bunch of people to give us you know, hopefully hundreds of thousands of dollars so that we can keep developing um, the program and developing the software and, and release it somewhere closer to December. But that time came and went, we spent pretty much all of our cash on creating this Kickstarter video and it wasn't even complete. Um, and then we tried to um, get it uploaded to, uh, to Kickstarter and they told us it was a terms of service violation because they don't accept any SaaS software. Um, it yeah, is right. not something that like it was made more for, you know, like physical products, et cetera. So that was an entire kind of like confidence, um, crash, uh, almost like into, into the negative because we were already running out of like personal cash at that point, started having to borrow from credit cards. Then we had like another lifeline where we're trying to see, okay, like now we'll try to get into YC, uh, Y Combinator, which is a um startup accelerator but they give you a little bit of cash to um to as like a seed investment so we applied there and kind of had all of our hopes on that and then got rejected from there that was around like october early november in in 2012 and um at that point we're like really starting to go into debt right like borrowing from you know these like cash advances from credit cards and um you know we had to sell our family car uh, to try to get a little bit of uh, cash in the door. Cause we all like at this point, my kids are, you know, they, they have, they need a daycare. They, um, we still needed. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Priorities of family. Gotta, yeah. yeah. You gotta pay rent. We have like car payments. Um, and, and none of that stuff slows down. And 
it that became a really really tense moment where and and my brother you know my brother Sergi was having a uh, pretty hard time because he he also wasn't making any he moved into my um, like our place which was a really really small condo and and that started getting a little bit more you know claustrophobic um, and then on top of all that in late 2012 one of my daughters came came down with a really bad um, health condition that required surgery and we oh, had at that point like catastrophic health insurance which is basically you know protects you from you know having to pay like millions of dollars for something but it still has really high deductibles uh, on the order of like 10 to fifteen thousand dollars so my um you know just doing the tests alone uh for for um her condition which thankfully everything is fine now uh were close to that deductible and then right as christmas and new year's end you kind of have to plan for the surgery itself and then your deductible resets that's the way the health system works here in the us and then to actually pay for the actual surgery it's another you know how do you come up with with 10k when your monthly expenses are already like you know five thousand dollars and you're going into into debt at that rate um over the last you know four or five months right so at that point we almost gave up honestly uh like early january we you know when we were starting to plan the surgery it was just basically i already started talking to my old um, um colleagues at intuit like what would it take for me to come back sergi started talking to his old boss to see if he could move back to san diego and maybe we would kind of like moonlight on the side and see if we could keep keep going uh, on the sidelines and we had decided to give each other um, just one more month, um, like end of January, we're like, all right, we're gonna do one more month and see what we can, because we weren't even like 30% of the way through to building like what we wanted to build for Webflow at that point. It was still just an idea, kind of an early prototype and we're you know still designing and, and engineering. And we're like, there's just no way we're gonna be able to do it. Like we're gonna go from like, not just, broke but <laughs> broke and uh you know having a heart attack or something like that uh, <laughs> so we just gave we gave ourselves a deadline and um kind of make this made this big board we were working at this place called the hacker dojo um at the time which was like a, a free um startup studio where you could just like get a desk and you know basically no privacy but it, it was a place to be uh where where you could just like work day and night and in those four weeks we just we decided like hey we can't actually build a product so we built an idea we built sort of like a prototype that we could show to others to give them a sense of what we like the vision that we had for webflow and that ended up you can still see it what we launched it's you can see it at playground.webflow.com that's exactly what we launched in like early um early to mid uh march where we were like all right, now that we have this, let's get it out into the world and see if it resonates with anyone. But at that same time that we were getting it out, we were already kind of resigned to the fact that um, because this isn't a product, we can't charge for it. We, um, you know, there's no way to like get money from it. We were already making plans to go back to our jobs and, and just do this more on the side. But then luck again, uh, around that mid, um, mid-March timeframe, as we were kind of making these plans, we posted that demo on a bunch of places at the time, like uh, Dig, which was still a thing, I think Reddit, um, and Designer News, and some other designer kind of portals, and it didn't really take off, uh, like didn't get any traction, uh, until we put it up on Hacker News, which is uh, this more like developer-centric community um, that's run by... Yeah. And it just took off like wildfire right it was like the number one product for for almost a day we got tens of thousands of visitors people like checking out the demo and 
um, like seeing what they what they could do with it. And then it sort of took off on social. And that was like a, you know, if that wasn't divine providence, I don't know. Uh, so, you know, like it was one of those saved at the last minute. And not that that led to revenue, but that gave us a bunch of traction. Like it got, I think like 20,000 people on a waiting list. And that helped us apply to Y Combinator, which is uh, like the next batch was right around the corner, um, I think end of March. And that traction helped us get in and, and that got us a little bit of seed funding. Uh, so at least then we had like that next bit of hope. Uh, and then from there on, it's, it's, uh, it was a little bit more, you know, a little bit less dire in, in that we had like zero income coming in. So then we went through the entire Y Combinator program, then we're able to uh, get a little bit more traction, launch the actual product later that August, and then slowly but surely, um, like raise a, a smaller seed round, and then start to build the actual product and monetize it, etc. Um, so there were so many moments in that in that journey where, you know, my wife and I have, and, and, you know, co-founders were having a conversation of like, hey, is this worth it? Like, can it, nothing is working and and um, really the only thing that that kept me going was like this almost irrational optimism that it just has to work and at, at every moment I kept making like pretty bad financial decisions which like I don't recommend and you know there's like a, a lot of survivorship bias in me saying like hey this worked for me but I know a lot of founders also find themselves in situations where you know, financially where I was, which was not a healthy place, uh, where you, you keep going, you keep going. And then at the end, it doesn't work out the same way where you have like these, um, uh, you don't have story. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so it was a, I, I would say what, what kept us going was this, you know, irrational, maybe try one more thing and maybe it'll work. And, you know, luckily it, it ended up working. And, and then, okay, so then everyone kind of knows Webflow now. And, and then it, you had the confidence, you had a wait list, you know, it, it all made a bit more sense. And then, yeah, the overnight success that took 10 years kind of thing, right? Yeah, exactly. Because even after we got, even after we launched, right, a lot of people assume that, you know, it's up and to the right from then, but we grew really slowly. Um, you know, we, it was, Webflow as a product was so limited in the beginning that you can only build like a very small subset of different types of websites. We didn't even have, you know, content management or anything like that until years later. So it was a, you know, we had ups and downs through that time where, we were kind of dwindling um, our cash balance after our first seed round and really had to slow down and, and um, weren't able to build as quickly as we wanted to or hire as quickly as we wanted to. We definitely weren't able to hire uh, many people in San Francisco. It was mostly, you know, remotely in other countries, et cetera, which was almost like a lot of people say like, well, you were one of the first companies to really embrace remote. That wasn't intentional. That was because we, <laughs> those are the only, only people we could find to convince to, to start working at Webflow because we couldn't afford to, uh, to pay other folks. Um, and, and thankfully that led us to, into where we got more and more comfortable with having a remote for, first culture. Um, but yeah, that, that I think over time, as we got more and more revenue, uh, it did turn into more of a, okay, now at least you don't have to worry about running out of cash. Then you have all sorts of uh, other scaling challenges, right? Like with a growing team, you have so many different things that are harder to scale than just, you know, updating, updating your code base, right? Be because people have so many different, um, you know, skills and interests and um, 
senses of purpose that it's it's much harder to to manage that and lead uh, that piece rather than just building a product. Um, so you know every step of the journey came with its own challenges. And to be honest with you, like this this latest stage where it feels like we're the most successful is probably also the most challenging for me personally uh, because you know learning something new every day and like all always outside of my comfort zone uh, by necessity right many times i kind of want to go back into a room and just write code all the time um, because that's that's really really fulfilling for me but it's also equally fulfilling to see how building a much more impactful team that can bring a lot more to our customers and empower even more people to create for the web, like that has its own sense of fulfillment. So that definitely keeps me going. Um, so is, is the, like the purpose and those, those core values dimensions still the, the North star for you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like the, you know, for me, it, it has never been around like this more, um, sometimes you hear like, oh, I want to create a business. I want to be my own boss. I want, I actually feel like I'm the least my own boss these days uh, than even when I was um, kind of working for somebody else or, or at a different company, uh, just because there's so many, so many things outside of my control these days. But the, the ultimate purpose is still like, how do we democratize this really, really uh, difficult to, um, to master skill and put it into a lot more hands because right now it's so inequitable in how many people are creating for the web. Like you have a lot of consumption on the web, right? But where most of the value is flowing into like is the, the few tech companies that are becoming these like multi-hundred billion, multi-trillion uh, companies and, and um, the, the value creation is actually concentrated into the hands of the few that that were at the right place at the right time, learned the right technology, and uh, were able to take advantage of market conditions. Uh, but by opening up this ability for more people to not just like consume on the web, but to create actual, you know, websites, services, products, things that they can sell and monetize, they can create a business around, um, like creating solutions that that make other people's lives easier, that they can then. Um, uh, figure out how to build a business around like that's a deeply deeply um, fulfilling mission to be on because every day you see stories of people who weren't able to do that who can now do that through software like webflow and that that is constantly um, inspirational right because you get to see how something that you created makes somebody else's life not just easier but also helps them make a living that's super powerful um, that that is really something that um, I find really special. Like not every not every company can can say that um, it has a mission like that. Like um, and for me, it's not personally like super inspiring to just like chase business outcomes or like go public or you know like have this sort of uh, these monetary wins or uh, milestones. Those things are not um, anywhere near as inspiring for me as as building something that makes other people's lives better um, and puts more power into other people's hands uh, and gives them a lot more opportunities uh, to be able to make their uh, make their reality a lot more uh, fulfilling and, and nicely 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 said and and i mean i'm mindful of your time but i've got a, just a couple of questions um and I almost want—I almost want to end it there because I love the the, the the final bit. But I, I was wanted to get a little bit into the remote work bit, just 
because you mentioned it. How do you, um, you know, obviously, you know, COVID, you know, world's world, the world dealing with, you know, I guess, change in circumstance and and then trying to be a bit more flexible with work arrangements, understanding, you know, how much kind of BS went on at work and, you know, it becomes more about productivity and, and, and the deliverables and, and what, what is your advice, I guess, to companies going through this, this like transformational period, I suppose, um, in, in staying motivated and working in this, in this new, in this new way, and um and you know um and growing and 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 succeeding yeah i it's i don't know if i can give the best advice here Uh, i i do think that it's ultimately not like when people when people talk about their work they want it to mean more than just shipping deliverables right or meeting some business objective so i think there's always going to be to have like true fulfillment with like the work that you're doing to find more reason to it than than kind of turning your labor or your time into a paycheck i think that will always require some sense of you know human connection to your colleagues uh connect connection to other humans as customers and wanting to solve their problems and and seeing like the human impact of that versus just like the business impact um and that really is and developing sort of your craft and your skill and feeling a sense of sort of mastery and, and accomplishment and getting better at something i think all those things are important and the thing that you know really worked well for webflow is that in the past uh pre covid was that even in this remote first sort of environment, you we would always be able to find ways to connect on a personal level um, through things like retreats and offsites. And we would all get together and kind of like re-inspire each other around like why the work that we're doing together and, and how we work together um, is uh, so special and so important. And we lost a lot of that with COVID, right? You can like try to replace um, so, so many of those things virtually, but it's just not the same. Um, so I think that people will always crave some sense of that, some sense of, you know, belonging and connection um, beyond work deliverables, et cetera. Um, so I think, but there's also a lot of, a lot of power to um, giving, giving people um, this sense of flexibility and not, not requiring these arbitrary uh, sort of arrangements where people just want folks to be in the office for just for the sake of it. Um, so I think there's like the, some balance between how do you actually get people to feel like they're not just cranking out work as like a cog in a machine and and they're actually working with really awesome kind um, smart capable people uh, in partnership to reach uh, a bigger mission and vision that that provides a lot of value and brings a lot of value to other humans in the world Um, how do you do that in a way that um, lets you get a lot of that that stuff done and into the hands of customers, but also do it the right way by people and, and bring people along and um, do it in a, a kindful, a kind, thoughtful, um, you know, really human centric way. I think that's what's going to define the future of work where it's like really respect the humanity of people, really respect the, um, the, the, the power of like being best at something and really trying to up-level each other and becoming like really great at a craft or delivering a really great product and making a lot of people's lives easier through that product or through that service. And there's just, I, personally, I think there's a lot of fulfillment in that. 
uh, when, when your work has positive impact on others. And in the process of doing that work, you really enjoy, like you uplift each other and, and you enjoy that process of working together on something more than you, you, know, you enjoy doing it solo. I think that's what really matters for people um, to get that sense of fulfillment and importance so that it doesn't just feel like a job. Um, and Agree. remote work yeah. does make that like presents more barriers there, but you can still create, um, you know, avenues and, and ways to, to infuse humanity in, into that work. Glad. Thank you very much for your time. Absolutely. Absolutely agree. I was, I was hoping to hear some sort of magic way to, 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 oh. Uh, you know, di digitally recreate, getting together, and, and but it's just not the same. You're right, and it's 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 tough. You know, I'm I'm calling obviously from lockdown in Melbourne right now, um, and so um, anyway, yeah, appreciate. Can't can't replace uh, you know human connection, right? Um, but uh, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate you joining us, and uh, yeah, wish you all the best. Stay in thank touch. Thank you for having me, Chris. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for tuning in. To keep up to date with all things Startup Grind, visit us at startupgrind.com or join us at any event in a city near you. Until next time, chase the vision and keep hustling.